Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. Well, this week's Torah portion, Hazinu, is about the Song of Moses, and we're going to look at a variety of scriptures that, uh, that will take you throughout the different portions of the Bible. Let's start in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 30. And I'm, I'm reading from the Jewish Publication Society version of the Tanakh, the English translation from 1917. It says it very simply, this one verse, Moses spoke in the ears of all the assembly of Israel the words of this song until they were finished. He spoke in the ears. Now, you know what that means. It doesn't mean he went to each person and spoke into their ear. And in fact, it doesn't really mean he spoke in a speaking voice. It means he shared uh, the lyrics of a song. That, that he had written. And it was a, a song that was meant to challenge Israel, both Israel who was there hearing and Israel who was yet to be born. And so we're recalling this. And we know that he's not the only one of Israel who had songs that were important for the Jewish people. For instance, in the Haftorah, you can go to 2 Samuel chapter 22. It says this, And David spoke the words of this song to the Lord in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So this is different than the way that Moses spoke, because Moses spoke in the hearing of the whole congregation. But David spoke in the hearing of whom? The Lord. But when he spoke it, he didn't actually just speak, even though the Hebrew can be translated speak, that wouldn't be incorrect. But he really sang this song. So Moses is a singer. And then in 2 Samuel, it continues in chapter 22, verse 47, just to uh, single out one line. This is part of the song. David says and sings, The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be God, the rock of my salvation. This is just one line from the song. And then if you turn to Psalm 18, you're going to get a lot of turning today. Psalm 18, the first two verses, it says this, For the choir director, this is a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of the song. You see, you don't really speak the words of the song, you sing the words of the song. But there's an emphasis on the content of the words. He spoke. He spoke to the Lord the words of the song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So this is telling us that this song that David wrote and that he sang to the Lord was now being uh, arranged and performed by the choir. So it was for the director of the choir so that he would lead the choir of the great temple, of the tabernacle, rather, 
in singing before all of Israel so that we would learn as a community to not only listen to song, but to sing songs to the Lord. And this is what he said. And of course, when it says this is what he said, this is what he's saying. You get this? I I, want to make this clear to you. He's saying this, I love you, O Lord. I love you, O Lord. Can you say that to the Lord? I love you, O Lord. What a great example. He says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. So he sings this to the Lord, and then he proclaims to the people, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who's worthy to be praised, and I'm saved from my enemies. These are just the first two lines of uh, this wonderful song that he sang. Now what I like about this is David is not proclaiming theological ideas, even though he is communicating truth. He is communicating, more importantly, his experience with God. He's not saying the Lord is the rock. He's saying the Lord is my rock. And it's a great example for us because there are times when you need to know who he is, not who he is out there, who he is in the abstract, who he is uh, in principle, but who is he to you? And when you can say the Lord is my rock, when you can say he's my fortress, when you can say I find refuge in him, I'm saved from my enemies, I'm saved from my enemies. When you can say that, it's very intimate and very personal as far as the Lord is concerned. And in your relationship with the Lord, it will draw you closer. Now, I love this. I love, I love the example that our patriarchs and our great leaders are for us. They show us what's it, uh, what's it like to have an intimate relationship with God. Now, the great commandment, Yeshua said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart. And of course, it doesn't stop there, but it starts there. To love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and that includes your will, your personality, your uh, temperament, your, uh, your whole paradigm and way of thinking, all that you are that's part of your soul. And to love the Lord with all of your mind and all of your strength. So you're to use every part. This is not a mindless experience, but it doesn't start in the mind. It starts in the heart. And we want our hearts to be fully dedicated to the Lord. Now, I I love King David because he had difficulties with his heart. Are you aware of that? And I don't mean he had cardio problems. He had heart problems. There were times when he was drawn by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of power. And he was tempted. There was even a moment when he was in a cave and King Saul came in and he had the opportunity to, to, to kill him. And he was tempted. He was tempted. He didn't do it. He just cut off like a corner of the garment that, that Saul had. 
But he was tempted. There were other times, like when he saw Bathsheba, that he was tempted and he gave in. But he turned and he repented. Now, he's not a good example for giving in to temptation. And some people use him wrongly in these days to, to say, look, God, God uses such people. It is true God uses such people because everybody's flawed. And if you're not sure of that, ask the person next to you to tell you the truth. <laughs> you're flawed. I'm flawed. We are flawed. We are flawed. And if you think you're not flawed, that's your biggest flaw. We're all flawed and none of us can save ourselves and none of us is good and none of us is righteous. And the fact is God does use flawed people. But we are not to hold up their flaws as the example of how we're to live. We're to hold up God's victories in their lives over their flaws. That's what I want you to see. I want you to remember that. It's, it's very important. Now what I know is if you want to be a praiser of God, like David was, you should hang out with people who praise the Lord. If you want to be an angry person, you know what you should do? Hang out with angry people. When I was a young man, I had a friend who had a terrible temper. And no matter where he went, he found other angry people. And he was a believer, but he never brought his temper to the Lord. And it was a tragic thing. And I remember one New Year's Eve, he went out with his wife. They went to a New Year's Eve party at a restaurant, and he got into a fight. And the next day, he was bruised and battered. The other guy was too. But I was thinking about how tragic it is that hot-tempered people find each other. And if you want to get free from a hot temper, don't hang out in bars where people are brawling. Don't stay out, you know, at 2 a.m. with drunken people who lose their tempers. Find people who are peaceful and embrace a value of peacefulness and learn from them. Now, in, in the same way, if you want to be a resentful person, what should you do? Hang out with resentful people. If you want to be a joyful person, what should you do? Hang out with joyful people. It turns out that emotions are contagious. Your healthy emotions, your positive emotions are contagious. Your negative emotions are contagious as well. This week, uh, I heard an interview with uh, a marriage counselor, Dr. Stephen uh, Stosny. He's been a counselor for 30 years, and he said he's never seen anything like what he's seeing this year in the couples that are coming to him. And uh, he's, he says it's connected to the elections. And there is something that psychologists are calling election stress anxiety that's touching more than half of all Americans. And I took some notes on this interview. Uh, he said, the people who are coming, the husbands and wives are coming, they're not seeing each other as partners, but opponents. 
They're not interested in reconciliation. They want to win against the other person. They're calling each other names a lot. The person who was interviewing said, wow. And all of this because one of them is supporting one candidate and the other supporting the other candidate. Talking about the major candidates. And he said, no, I'm talking about people who are supporting the same candidate. (laughs) Which was amazing. So even though they're agreeing on how to vote politically, they're modeling a different kind of behavior. And he says that all the negative emotions that are being modeled for them by the candidates are being downloaded into their relationship. And he said negative emotions are very contagious and the the couples are modeling the behaviors they're seeing uh, by the two major candidates. So he also had this other observation. If you're driving and a political announcement or news comes on the radio and you look down at the speedometer, you'll see that you're going about 15 miles an hour faster than you were before. These are my notes from him. These are not my opinions. I'm just reading notes I took from his interview. If there's too much traffic for that, you're probably tailgating the car in front of you. How many of you have noticed an increase in tailgating on the highways in this season? So his explanation is this. He says this, even low-grade anger activates every muscle group of the body. And it doesn't take very much for that foot muscle to get activated. (laughs) Another observation, he said people are not concentrating as well at work and they're not being as sweet to their kids as they would normally be. And so the interviewer who was beside himself, you're like, this is terrible, said, well, what can you do practically? And he said, there's an interesting thing that you can do that will shift you out of that low-grade anger very quickly. Think about the kind of person, the kind of driver, the kind of parent you want to be. Think about your values, because that will engage the part of your brain that regulates your emotions rather than is just controlled by the emotions. And he said, try to see the complexity of the situation. This engages the more mature part of the brain instead of what he calls the toddler brain that blames, denies, and avoids. And the interviewer said, do you think this will go away once the election is over? And he said, no, because everyone is against someone. And most voters right now seem to be against the candidate, one of the candidates, more than they are in favor of their own candidate. And so he says, by Christmas time, he hopes it'll be gone. (laughs) Isn't, Isn't that fascinating? So if you're driving on the highway and people are tailgating all around you or you're tailgating, start thinking about what kind of driver you want to be. Turn off your radio and 
pay attention to what you're doing and start praying differently and thinking a little bit differently, it will help you. If these are the behaviors that people who agree politically are demonstrating towards each other, imagine what's happening for those who disagree. Isn't that fascinating? His point is emotions are contagious. And that's one of the messages in the Torah and Haftorah portion. Emotions are contagious. So we want to develop the highest condition of the heart that we can. And we want to fellowship with people who are doing that too. If you're living in a constant state of alienation and despair, whether you're thinking about it or not, you will pass that on to other people. So there's a cure. Set values as a higher priority and set the good news of Messiah as a higher priority for you. That's what David was doing. He's modeling that for us. He sang this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. When he had troubles, he pressed into the Lord. This is something we want to learn, to press into God. And it may take days, it may take weeks, it may take months, but you maybe had this experience where in a time of difficulty you pressed into God and you stayed with him and you pressed in until he broke through and touched you. How many have had that experience where you fought in prayer, you fought against your emotions, you fought against the circumstances that are trying to roll over you and you came to the peace of God because by his grace he just poured it out on you. You sought him diligently. You know in the Hebrew when it says if you'll seek me diligently you'll find me it it really says if you seek me by seeking me. It's so simple in the Hebrew but it's so hard to do in real life. Many people confuse worrying about a situation as seeking the Lord. They confuse uh, feeling absorbed about a condition or a problem that they have. They, they confuse that with seeking the Lord. You could be right here in this room right now and not be seeking the Lord even though we're seeking the Lord together. Because you could be, your mind could be way off. Now what can you do? You start presenting those thoughts to the Lord. You start saying, Lord, I'm, I'm trusting in you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look to you for help. You are my help. I'm not going to give in to despair. I know this. I'm not hopeless because you're my hope. You're the God of hope. I'm going to look to you because nothing is too difficult for you. Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing is too difficult for the Lord. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 95 verse 1, Come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord, shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. Now, did you know that that Moses wrote another song, Psalm 90? Why don't you turn there? All of the Psalms are songs. It's important to know that. They are to be sung, not just to be read. And let me highlight some of the verses of Psalm 90, which is identified as a prayer of Moses, the man of God. He says, Lord, you've seen our dwelling place throughout all generations. This is Psalm 90, verse 1. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world, 
from everlasting to everlasting you are God. This is a great proclamation of Moses that touches on the eternity of God. He's saying, Lord, not only did you create us, but you exist apart from the time-space world. And even though you made the world, your existence doesn't depend on that world. But in this world, you are the Lord. You're the Lord over our world. And from everlasting to everlasting, like from eternity in that direction before there was a physical universe, to eternity in this direction, after the whole physical universe is consummated and, and born again, you are God. He even says, you turn people back to dust. Saying, return to dust, you mortals. You made them from dust, you return them to dust. A thousand years in your sight is like a day that's just gone by, or like a watch in the night. And then verse 8, you've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins and the light of your presence. Now some people would read this and think that's really a negative thing to say. But it's not. Moses is talking about the mercy of God and the cleansing of God that comes when he shines light on dark areas of our lives. On, on Yom Kippur, we were reading the Achet and the Holy Spirit uh, was underlining my guilt towards my neighbors in a way that I had not understood before. And he was shining light on something that was really important because we have, we have a some wonderful neighbors, and then we have some really cranky and sometimes mean neighbors. Uh, and they, I understand, don't like us because we're Messianic Jews. And they have like a professional hostility to Messianic Jews. If, if we drive by and wave, they hang their head. They won't acknowledge that we're physically present, that we live in the neighborhood. You know, it's like if they close their eyes, we'll go away. It hasn't worked for all these years. And I just thought they are cranky people and they are mean people and they are anti-Messianic Semites. You know what I'm saying? Anti-Messianic Semitism, it's a, it's a condition they're suffering from. But it, during the days of awe, someone who knows them and us was telling me uh, about their, their history and told me that their, their first children were twins. And when the twins were young, one of them, when they were very young, one of them crawled into a bucket of water, like was exploring a bucket of water, fell in and drowned. And... And, and this fellow said, you know, the mother's never been the same. This is why she's bipolar. This is why, you know, she can act the way that she does. It's not, uh, it, it's not just random. It's because she hasn't gotten over this loss. When I heard that, I thought, I am so petty in the view that I had. Because when I would pray for them, I wasn't praying according to any knowledge. I was, I was praying about like the, the meanness side. Do you know what I mean? Not the wound. I never prayed for their healing because I didn't know what they needed healing from. Because I didn't know their experience. 
And the Lord was showing me that it was just like those who have a branch in their eye and they're rebuking the one who's got a little, you know, wood dust in their eye. I was like that. So when I was reading this in, um, in Psalm 90, you said our iniquities before you are secret sins in the light of your presence. I was identifying with that and I was thank, saying, thank you, Lord, because your light actually brings healing. Sometimes we don't even know what needs to be healed and what needs to be changed. We may not even recognize that a certain way we're acting, behaving, or being is sinful. But Moses was saying, it's our secret sins. The, things, the, the sins that are hidden to us that, that we don't even know are in the light of your presence. Then verse 12, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Don't, don't just act like every day is the same and, and don't think that it's not possible to change. With God, it is. And then I love verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love so that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days, so that we can sing for joy. Now, did you know that Moses is praying this? He's praying for all of us that we would be able to sing for joy. One of the prayers of Moses is, let all of Israel and every nation that joins themselves to the God of Israel and the people of Israel, let them all sing for joy and be glad all our days. Now look at the person sitting next to you. Smile at them and say, I want that prayer answered. I want that prayer answered in my life. Make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us. For as many years as we've seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. That's, that's just an awesome prayer, isn't it? Psalm 90, the prayer of Moses, the song of Moses. Now, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs is the former chief rabbi of the United Kingdom. And he is one of the most insightful and wise of uh, rabbis who's alive today, brilliant in so many ways. And he says about this week's Torah portion, the last thing that Moses did before giving the people his deathbed blessing was to teach them a song. And then he continues, the rabbis enumerated 10 songs at key moments in the life of the nation. There was the song of the Israelites in Egypt, uh, which is also spoken of in Isaiah 30, verse 29. The song at the Red Sea, Exodus 15. The song at the well, Numbers 21, and Haizinu. Uh, this week's Torah portion. Moses' song at the end of his life. Joshua sang a song, Joshua 10, verses 12 through 13. So did Deborah, Judges 5, Hannah, 1 Samuel 2, and David, 2 Samuel 22. There was the Song of Solomon, Shir Hasharim, the Song of Psalm, Songs, about which Rabbi Akiva said, all songs are holy, but the Song of Songs is the Holy of Holies. And then Rabbi Sachs says, the 10th song has not yet been sung, it's the Song of Messiah. 
Now, Rabbi Sachs is not a messianic rabbi. So he's waiting for the 10th song. And he does not read Habrit HaKadoshah with faith. And so he doesn't know that the song of Messiah has been sung. It will be sung, yes. But it has already been sung. The book of Revelation, you can turn there, Revelation chapter 15. It says in verses 3 and 4, these are angels, they held harps given them by God. Isn't that interesting? God in his heavenly storehouse has musical instruments. And they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Now the language is very clear. It's the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. It's not the song about Moses or about the Lamb. And this is how I understand it. This was a song jointly written by Moses and Yeshua. It may be the tenth song that Rabbi Sachs is waiting for. And right now there are angels who have learned the song. They've been taught the song. And it says, great and marvelous, these are the lyrics, we sang some of these lyrics today. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And so the angels are singing this song. And the writer of Revelation heard the song and wrote down what he heard and put it in the book of Revelation for you and for me so that you and I would be able to practice until we learn the right tune. We'll practice any tune that works for us. There is a song that Moses sang together with Yeshua. Now you might not think of Moses is being a songwriter, but clearly he is. That's what Hyazinu is teaching us. That's what uh, the final chapter of Deuteronomy will teach us. That's what the Psalm, Psalm 90 teaches us. That's what the book of Revelation teaches us. And you might think, I don't know. You know, Rabbi, you're stretching this. But turn to uh, Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah 5 is a song. And it's a song that's sung in different voices. The first voice is not perfectly clear. It says, let me sing to my beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. So what's not clear is that the people of God singing to the Lord? Or is that the Lord singing to the Lord? And then it says, my beloved has a vineyard. Well, it goes on. And it makes it really clear that the vineyard is the vineyard of the Lord. 
And so this is a song of the Lord to the Lord and of the people about the people and from the people too. And many of Isaiah's uh, songs are like that. They move from one voice to another, one person to another doing the singing. But having said that, turn to chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. And he was high and he was lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now the train is like a wedding garment, if you will. And above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings with two. He covered his face with two. He covered his feet and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Kadosh, 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 Adonai Tzavaot, Malochel Haaretz Kavodo. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the traditional Siddur includes this cry as part of the sung prayers of the liturgy. And so it's part of our memory, it's part of our scriptures that, that we would remember that in heaven something's happening and praise is taking place and songs are being sung. Some of the songs are the songs that the Lord himself is singing. Some of the songs are songs he's teaching. Now, what's amazing is the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb, this duet maybe, I mean, could you imagine Moses and Yeshua together singing a song? Wouldn't that be a great experience to hear that? We will. Do you remember when Moses went on, uh, Yeshua went on the mountain with a couple of his closest disciples and Moses and Elijah show up there? It's a very unusual experience. There was a time when Moses was on a mountain and the Lord showed up similarly, Right? The Lord came down in a cloud and stood next to Moses, and the Lord called to the Lord. And this was all because Moses had said, listen, if if you don't go with us, if your presence doesn't go with us, if you don't go with us face to face, that's what he was saying, then I I can't lead the people or we can't go anywhere. And the Lord said, I'm going to come down and I'm going to be present with you. I'm going to show you my face. And then I'm going to cause my glory to pass by you. And so there's this moment when Moses is standing on the mountain. And from heaven, the Lord descends in a cloud. Stands next to Moses. And then the glory of the Lord passes by. And the Lord standing next to Moses calls out to the Lord passing by. The Lord calling out to the Lord. Adonai, Adonai, El Rachum Vechanun. You know, he starts calling out, the Lord is proclaiming the Lord. And so Moses hears this and it changes him. And he realizes that this is awesome, the presence of the Lord. And now Yeshua is on the mountain and Moses comes down. And remember, Moses has not set foot in the Holy Land, the Promised Land. Until this moment. Right, Brian? Brian, you were the first person who shared that with me. Thank you. Brian Stone had that understanding. And parents, don't forget, it's time to pick up your kids. 
You can do that and come back if you want. We're, I'm almost finished. So now Yeshua's on the mountain. Moses and Elijah come down, and Peter, like, he has another one of these half-baked ideas. You know, let's build a sukkah. <laughs> I don't know what he was thinking. Uh, you know, this will be like a monument for what's happened here, because this has never happened. You know, Moses has never been here. But now Moses and Yeshua, they're together, because, you know, this is not their first meeting. You understand? When the Lord comes down and he presents himself in a way that doesn't consume us, and it's recognizable as a man, even if it sort of looks like an angel, but then it looks like a man, that is the incarnate expression of the Lord that protects us. Where the Lord like enrobes himself in a kind of humanity and temporality so that we can be present with him and not be consumed. And so when the Lord came down and stood next to Moses, it was like that. And so Moses is not having like this first encounter you know, with Yeshua, like, you know, I wonder who he is. You know, what's this mountain? Where am I? And who are you? Now, they've had some fellowship together. I mean, maybe they've already written the song, for all I know. Been teaching angels. No angels, you know, come up on this part. And they're having fellowship, and I don't know what they're talking about. There's no record of it. But later, at the very end of Yeshua's presence on the earth, you know what he does? He ascends again in a cloud. And it's awesome. And this time, his disciples bow down and worship him. So it's not just the angels who are worshiping. So it's, it's so awesome to, to contemplate the song of the Lord that he gives to us. Learn to sing to the Lord. Practice singing. There are, there are many songs that, that, that we learned when we were new believers. They were so simple, they were like ditties. But they were scripture, and this is how we got scripture deep inside of us. When Michelle Allen and I pray together, often we end by singing together uh, you know, nothing is too difficult for thee. Ah, Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great glory. Ah, Lord God, thou hast made the heavens by thine outstretched arm. Nothing, nothing, nothing is impossible for thee. We sing that. And, you know, we're not like the best singers. It, it, I mean, I wouldn't even say, it, I, I won't speak for Michelle if he's here. Uh, I'd say he's not the best singer. But I'm even worse. But it doesn't bother us. We make a joyful noise to the Lord. And it's important for us to be telling the Lord, nothing's too difficult for you. It encourages us to hear each other say it and to not be ashamed. And I can tell you this, if you want to be strong, guys, find someone to sing to the Lord with. Spend some time singing to the Lord together. You may say, well, I don't do that. Well, I don't do that, but I do it. I'm not... I'm not one of those people who'd be identified in the Psalms as the gifted musicians or the skillful musicians. 
In, in fact, some people keep their distance from me when they're, when they're in worship because they don't want to be pulled into the dark hole of arrhythmia <laughs> and monotonia, you know, that, that I bring to them. And there will be times when Sandy and all of her love will say, can you do that quieter? <laughs> like, I, I can't keep the tune when you're near me that loud. But find people to pray with and find a reason to give thanks to the Lord. Find a reason to recognize how Yeshua is working in your midst and in the midst of other people. Find a reason to bless people, even those who have been against you. Find a reason to start speaking strongly the healing of God and the victory of God and the compassion and the mercy of God and the light of God. And as you find a reason, I'll tell you this, God will use you to bless people. And your strength and the things that are in your heart will be contagious and they'll touch other people. And you really will be a light to the nations. You really will be a light for Israel. You really will be Messiah's light shining because his light in you will be reflected outward to others. And not only will it be reflected outwardly to others, it will touch you and your light, according to Isaiah 58, will rise like the noonday. It's not going to be a setting sun or a dawn or even uh, the eve. It's going to be like noon. God is going to work in such a way that the brightness of his presence and of his victory will be so clear to you. So I want to pray for you that God's light will be shining in you, that his joy will be in you, that that's what you catch and that's what you convey. Turn off your radios if you need to. Don't watch the news too much if you need to. If you can't take it, if you can't take the stress, just set it aside. You will find out who won the election, even if you're not watching the news, believe me. Lord, I thank you for your victory and I thank you for your love. Thank you, Yeshua, for the songs that you sing. Thank you for your worship. Thank you for the melody that you put in our hearts. Thank you for the joy that you give to us. We want to follow your example, the example of Moses, the example of David and the others. And we want to sing to you and make gladness in our hearts. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Let's close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise? Okay, now what are we supposed to bring for the Sukkot picnic? Cookies Cookies and fruits and vegetables. Can you bring broccoli? Yes, you can. Yivarecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ya'er Adonai panave lecha v'chunecha, Yisa Adonai panave lecha, v'yasem lecha shalom. The Lord bless you and keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat shalom, Chag Sameach.